0: now about the gifts of the spirit brothers and sisters i do not want you to be uninformed you know that when you were pagans somehow or other you were influenced and led astray to mute idols therefore i want you to know that no one who is speaking by the spirit of god says jesus be cursed and no one can say jesus is lord except by the holy spirit there are different kinds of gifts but the same spirit distributes them there are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one, there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit to another, gifts of healing by that one spirit, to another, miraculous powers, to another, prophecy, to another, distinguishing between spirits, to another, speaking in different kinds of tongues, and to still another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same spirit, and he distributes them to each one, just as he determines. Just as the body, If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. now you are the body of christ and each one of you is a part of it and god has placed in the church first of all apostles second prophets third teachers then miracles then gifts of healing of helping of guidance and of different kinds of tongues are all apostles are all prophets are all teachers do all work miracles do all have gifts of healing Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? Now eagerly desire the greater gifts. Love is indispensable, and yet I will show you the most excellent way.
1: Thank you, Dalton. So a little background, just so you know where we are. Victor, can you turn this down just a tiny bit? I'll speak louder. The, uh, um, just so everybody knows what this book even is, Paul was early church apostle. He's teaching other people about Jesus, and they go around, and they start a bunch of churches in lots of different places, and you have to stay in touch with them through people coming and going or letters and stuff. They didn't have the Internet, obviously. They didn't even have, like, the postal service. Like, so, so a lot of what these books we have here are Paul would write a letter to a group, and they would read it. And it really was kind of like a sermon or like a message like they couldn't record anything, meaning like an audio recording, so they'd write it down so They'd say, read this message to everybody. But they didn't mean like read it privately, but like read it for everybody. Like this is what I would say if I was there. And some of them, they even have instructions like, once you're done with this, let everybody else read it, meaning these other churches, and get the one I sent them. Some of those we don't even have, so it's kind of interesting stuff. So what Paul is doing is sending a letter to a church they were involved in helping in Corinth, which is a big city in the Mediterranean. It's an interesting city. It's mixed Meaning, like there's people from all. It's like people from all sorts of different backgrounds, and they're not all Jewish people. See, every city was, you know, there was. It's just like how cities are now. Like, you know, they're regionally different. You know, we move around a lot more than they did back then. But this city was diverse in a lot of ways. There was a lot of different ethnicities, a lot of different religious backgrounds, a lot of different. Uh, um, jobs and stuff, and a lot of different wealth, so like, meaning that the church that was here was kind of a whole lot of different people jammed together that had different backgrounds, different interests, different understanding, and different amounts of money, like there's some rich people and there's some poor people, and the 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 general framework of this whole book is they weren't really getting along that well, they were kind of having a hard time, and some of the stuff they were struggling with, which isn't in the chapters we just read, it uh, was pretty, pretty weird and specific, and you know, Paul had to really deal with some specific stuff, um and when you see this uh when you read a book like this or when you read any of other paul's books or these kinds of things and we're going to even start going into ephesians which is a similar situation some of the stuff he's talking about is just universal like let me tell you about jesus and he's like doo, 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 doo. and that stuff's just like man take it you don't have, like when we, remember we went through james and it was like some of the stuff he's like i wonder what he meant by that <laughs> you know it's like you don't have to do you know you know what he means in the book of james and you'll know what Paul's meaning in some of these things where he speaks very directly. And then other times he's talking about like a very specific situation and it isn't something maybe we're even dealing with right now in your life or my life. But even in those kind of very specific or even culturally specific statements, you can take out what's the the, 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 the driving thing behind this and even that stuff. is. But you have to kind of do your homework when you're looking through these. What we're looking at today isn't, is more in the category of it's just universal and understandable, but I just want to let make sure everybody knows what we're talking about. so this is a letter Paul wrote to the church in Corinth, trying to help them sort through some stuff they're dealing with um, and they weren't getting, and there's two main subjects in the chapter we read today. he's talking about spiritual gifts, and he talks about the body or the spiritual body or the body of Christ. you know you hear all these terms and then he, he's making a case for uh, what had happened was <laughs> you see what happened was the, uh, there were people of that <laughs> you're laughing at me, not with me at that time, yeah yeah, oh, well, anyway, there were people that had different levels, you know there was wealthier people and then there was people with you know different spiritual gifts, and they were kind of maybe some of these people were thinking because of the spiritual gifts I have, i'm better than some of these other people, or because I have so much money you know, like I was bringing in my cultural, like in the culture, the world culture, I'm more important. So in the church, I'm more important, right? And Paul's going, yes, see, no, that's not how this is going to work. And he, and he makes his case and he wants to talk about what we call spiritual gifts. And then he wants to talk, wants to talk about the body of Christ and how everybody fits into it. And so first we're going to look at the gifts. Um, and, uh, so he's, 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 makes, he's, he wanting, he's wanting to just set up the fact that, like, he's assuming that everybody has a grid for this, you know, that these gifts are given from, f- given from God to people for the benefit of all. He calls it the common good. And, and he says, I don't want you to be uninformed about this. I don't want you to, like, not, like, when I say spiritual gifts, you go, I don't know what that is. He's like, that's not how I want you to be. I want you to know what that is. I want you to understand what I'm saying. So when it comes to spiritual gifts, I don't want you to be uninformed, okay? And then he starts immediately going into how there's different gifts. You see in verse 4, there are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working. But in all of them and in everyone, it's the same God at work. So he's making this case a lot. He's like, this is one God gives different gifts. There's only one God, one Holy Spirit, and he gives... (laughs) different gifts to different people. One God, different gifts. And he's making this case over and over again. And he makes in this chapter we just read in verses 7 through 10, and then again at the very end in verse 28, he has two lists of like what these kind of gifts are. And I don't think that these are supposed to be comprehensive, meaning like that's all they are. You know, there's also other lists in some other places. But I think these are just kind of like, you know, like this or this or this or this. Like that's the kind of context you find these in. And I, I wrote them down side by side so you can kind of see that even these two lists in the same chapter don't exactly line up and so i don't think we have to be too hung up on these being like total but it's you can just kind of look through he he, he uh says just, he gives some people the gift of wisdom others knowledge faith healing miraculous powers prophecy distinguishing of spirits speaking in tongues and interpreting tongues and then very at the end he's like you know first apostles and prophets teachers miracles healing helping guidance tongues. Different gifts to us from the same God. This is what he wants to say. Now, depending on your background, I think you might feel like this about this, this, these lists. <laughs> the blue ones are like, I'm cool with those. Healing, depending on what you mean by that, could be cool or weird. And then the rest of these are weird. Is that, is that an honest? Like a lot of us, your you first take it, you're like, that sounds... Now, I just want to remind you, this list that is on the screen right now is in your Bible. I didn't make the list. It's not like Brian's list of things. This is the Bible listing off spiritual gifts for the church. So, I want to help us through this because I think that uh, it's like <laughs> nerdy moment I just came to me. You know, like in the Lord of the Rings, this, this happens in the book, but it happens funny in the movie where... <laughs> when they're with Galadriel, she's like, she's an elf, and she's like, hey, you guys need some stuff for your quest, and so she gives to two, the first two hobbits, here's like some daggers that are like swords, and then she goes to Sam, and it's like, here's rope for you, and he's like, can I, do you have any more of those daggers? You know, which is funny, because he gets a rope, which he actually needs, on the, that's the whole point, he get she gives him what he needs, but he wants a dagger, because daggers are cool, and the rope is lame, and We often get like that or we can kind of start to think like, God, I'm really cool if you'll give me one of the the cool ones, but please don't do the weird ones because I don't know what I'll do with that and I don't know how to interact with that. But you have to remember, he just told you, Paul says to us, which we can read this book as well, I don't want you to be uninformed. And so I just want to pause for a second because... I think I'm accurate or roughly accurate about this, that a lot of us in our culture would react and divide the list just as I have done it here. The question is, why? Why do we think like this? I actually think I think I can help everybody with that a little bit. So this is a little bit of a rabbit trail, but I do think it's valuable because Paul doesn't seem to be worried about it the way we would be, like, If I was writing a list to a church, I may not do it the same way because our culture is different. You know, Paul's listing all these things off side by side. He didn't have a cool list and a weird list. He's like, yeah, these are spiritual gifts that Christian people do and are involved in. And and, uh, I think you can even tell that, like, the readers would more than likely be like, yeah, we agree. You know, like, we agree with your list. Like, they're not going, ah, you know. And so why do we feel so differently? I think I can think of three main causes of our feeling that way for those of us sitting in this room that might share that feeling. The first one is under the category of cultural, is what I would say. So we live in a Western country. We live in the United States. Many of us grew up in the United States. Um, some of us grew up in different countries. We've moved here. But either way, the United States has had such a huge influence, and then Europe has had such a huge influence on the world that this stuff is spread in the way we think. That What happened was, uh, about a, several, several hundred years ago, this movement Thinking movement called the Enlightenment happened, which where people shifted in how they understood reality tremendously, and it started to lean heavily on something we call like empiricism. And it, and it, where you start to say, like, this is where the scientific method came from, where we're leaning on, like, I can observe you do this, this happens, I saw that happen, so we can make a conclusion from that. You know, if you mix baking soda and vinegar, there's a reaction, and it happens every time we do it. And so why does that reaction happen? And then you can start to get into it. And then so what these guys did um, was culture, our Western culture, moved way over into that understanding of reality, meaning like if things are true, they're always true, and we can test them and prove them, and it doesn't matter our opinions about them. You know, that's why, and I was going to make a slide of this, this was actually a really good thing because it, would, it allowed us, as humans, to figure out a whole lot of stuff really fast. Meaning like, you know, I was gonna have like the Wright Brothers plane and then like the Apollo moon landing. Like they were able to figure out stuff really quick because things work like that. You know, like the reason if I jump off this, it, I won't fly is because there's this thing called gravity and it works the same way and you can do math and figure out, yeah, if you just try to catch yourself with your face, it's not gonna work, you know? And I can't be like, well, that's your opinion. And you go, no, it's not. That's not what that's called, you know? And we all think like that because this is how our culture thinks, and that isn't how cultures have always thought. Everybody would know, yeah, if you jump and fall, you're going to fall. But there were other ways to interpret reality. You know, there was different types of reasoning involved, and so we start. So we were able to, as a culture, figure out a whole lot of stuff really fast And the in uh, medicine and science and. Uh, Technolo- all sorts of technological advancements. I mean, our, like using a microphone and something. Like, all kinds of great stuff has happened because of it. But but there's a side effect where we really struggle about. We can really figure out why what's happening, and make predictions about what will happen if you do it again. But we really struggle with knowing whether or not that should happen. Like that might even seem like a weird question. I was going to pull this quote out. Leslie Newbigin talks about this in his book Foolishness to the Greeks, where he says. You know, science has a lot about, you know, I can't remember exactly his answer. Was, it was like why things happen, but they can't tell you whether or not they're good or whether or not they should be. And we might even go, I don't understand why that even matters, but it matters quite a bit because he said if you took something like a, a pocket watch, he was older and British, so a pocket watch, and started like hammering a nail in with it, he goes, you might get some of it done, but you're like destroying the watch, and you'd be like, wait a minute. Why are you doing that? That's not what that's for. And you'd be like, why? I, I'm able to hammer an in with it, so why is, it not, why, am I, why is this not for that? And we would go, because that's not what it was made for. And so you can see how, if you're trying to interpret all of reality, leaning very heavily into this type of mindset, it's gonna leave you some blank spots because you don't quite have everything to work with should this happen. Or is it good that this happened? You can just only tell you that it does happen when, when when you do things. And we lean very heavily into that, which makes us really struggle with when God breaks in and does something different. Because when God does things, I would say logically, just work with me here, I'm fine with all of what we just said. Like, we're not anti-science at all. Like, I mean, I was even kind of, we were giving away, I wasn't peddling, but we were giving away my uncle's book about choosing Jesus and science. Like, we're in favor of that. So it's not like we're against it. We're just saying there's other ways also to know things, which are important. And we all know that, because science can't explain love, and science can't explain, you know, joy or all these other things. And so we all, everybody knows this, even if you're not a Christian. But our culture really leans really heavily into this thing. Then And so... um. When, like, two weeks ago, we talked about the women coming from, <laughs> coming from the tomb and saying, hey, Jesus, you know, we saw him die on Friday, but he's alive now. And, and it's, it's great news. And it says the, the disciples were like, they didn't believe it because it sounded like nonsense. Okay? Because it sounded like nonsense. The first, these are the apostles who started the whole church thought the first news of hearing Jesus raised from the dead sounded like nonsense because it does sound like nonsense because things like that don't happen. So even back then, they understood that how this stuff works. You know, like the world works a certain way. And when God shows up and does something different, it runs against that. Now it's really bothersome to us. And we can own that. Like I have a hard time with it too. Like when God does things that aren't, you know, the norm, it's really bizarre to my sensibilities. And I think that we've been, like, this has happened several hundred years ago, and people have done, act, taken active steps. I mean, there's even these stories of, like, you know, Thomas Jefferson, for example, like, liking the moral teachings of Jesus, but thinking all of the miraculous stuff was added in by people later. So he would, like, work really hard to kind of, to the point that I think he said, like, I can't even see these two things be, coming from the same being. Like, they're obviously added later, and people had an agenda. So what I'm going to do is, like, pull out all the moral teachings, which are the best we've ever had in human history, and set those aside and delete all this junk about him healing people and all that stuff, which we just read in Isaiah 61, you know, and he's like, yeah, I got to get rid of this because this is the stuff we want to hold on to and not get to get messed up with all this junk over here. Now, you and I don't think about this stuff ever, but a lot of other people do, and we inherit these thoughts in the way we believe and interact with the world, and so we struggle, and I think it's been going on long enough that we have forgotten we have, as a culture, forgotten what the spiritual world is like, and we have a hard time interacting with it, yet we're all interested. So this is a strange thing. You know, when you're like, ooh, stranger things. Ooh, you know, and it starts out metaphysical and maybe moves into the spiritual world. You're like, that's really interesting. Or like, I don't know, you know, pick your list of like, you know, the amount of shows that are about haunted ha- houses or something like that. We're all very interested in this spiritual realm. I think it's because there's this, there is the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. God is moving in the world. There's a spiritual... But we have... You can't prove this. You can't science test it, you know. And so, it gets pushed away to the point that now we've like almost forgotten. So, when somebody starts to talk in those directions, yeah, we can find ourselves being like Thomas Jefferson. I like the Jesus part where it's like safe and makes me feel better about myself. And it also regulates our faith into a very personal place. Like, if it makes you feel better, do it. It's great. Do this thing. It makes you feel better. But Don't try to talk like that's how the world is. Like, that's, like, super offensive. I'm just saying this is how the culture functions, which puts us in a weird spot. Now, we all live there. Like, I think I'm describing, I mean, it may be crudely, but I think I'm describing kind of where we live. Like, if I want to tell you how much I love Jesus, you may be like, that's great. But the average person would be like, you're weird, but you seem nice weird, so I guess that's okay. But, like, don't try to make me do that stuff. You see what I mean? This is the world we're in. So it sets us up against the weird list. I'm trying to explain why we feel this way, okay? The second thing is this. That first one was our culture that we find ourselves in. The second one is the church. There's a... Something happened in the church at about the same time um, called the Reformation. It's a very important thing in church history. Before that, there was basically one church. There was kind of two. There was like the Orthodox Church and the Catholic Church, but the Catholic Church was just the church, you know what I mean? They had an initial split that was earlier, but... There was kind of one, especially in Europe, you know, which we're inheriting a lot from, Is there was like a church. So if you were a Christian, you went to the church. There was no, like, different churches. There was one, and you went there, or you didn't. But everybody went there because you were born a Christian in that cult. You know, there's a lot of things there. And so all of a sudden, Martin Luther shows up, and he was like, you know, this church thing is corrupt politically. It's corrupt financially. It's doing all sorts of, it's, it's doing all sorts of horrible things to people in the name of God, and it's wrong. And he's seeing in the Bible, what I'm reading and what I'm seeing practiced isn't lining up. So he wrote a list of these grievances and put them on the door of a church, and it started this whole thing called the Protestant Reformation. And he didn't intend to like blow the church up or anything, but the Catholic church was really powerful. And they're like, you know what's gonna happen? We're gonna start killing you guys. It started this whole thing. And so the church heritage that we find ourselves a part of, because we're not in the Catholic church, came out of this. Like, they kind of were like, well, if y'all are kicking us out, I guess we'll keep doing our own thing. We're going to try to follow Jesus anyway. And I do think at the time something like this was necessary. But a lot of these guys, and I don't study this all the time because I'm not super, like, I'm not like, man, let's talk church history all day. I'm not like that. So, but they didn't intend to, like, blow the church up, you know. They were like, you know, you're doing the wrong thing. You should stop. Let's stop. And they're like, no, we're going to keep doing it. And we're going to try to kill you now. And so we're like, okay, I guess we'll go do our own thing. And so that's called Protestant. You hear a protest. So the Protestant church came out of that. This is where pretty much everything that's not called uh, Catholic came from, essentially. And that movement was happening at about the same time as this Enlightenment thing. So a lot of the thinking is intertwined. And some of the stuff the Catholic Church was doing was really corrupt around things like communion, or they called the Eucharist, which was the high point of every service. You would come to a mass, and they would lead up to the taking of the Lord's Supper together, which actually sounds like a really good idea if you like listen to what Jesus says. Do this when, <laughs> whenever you gather in remembrance of me. And we, like, sometimes, we don't do that. Like, we do it a lot, but you know, it kind of sounds like you should do it more their way. We're like, well, why don't we? Well, what happened was they were using corruption in all sorts of levels. You could also like, buy... You could pay the church for sins you had done or for, like, I know my dad who just died. He's probably in hell or purgatory, so if I can pay the church enough for indulgences, that'll get him out. And it was, like, totally screwed up stuff, you know, and it's messing with people's heads because they don't even have the Bible of their own, and, you know, (laughs) there's a problem. So they said something, like, y'all should stop doing this. But they also saw all those things the church was doing, and when they were forming how they were going to act and what they were going to do as a church, they were like, you know... These spiritual, there was, there, was a, there was a very positive correlation, meaning there was like an overlap between these very spiritual things like the Eucharist. What's happening there when we're eating the body and blood of Jesus and like, and what could be said about that and what could be done and who could be prevented from that and all the power. That, so they're like, this, this, we're going to, we're not going to like say we're going to devalue it per se, but we're going to raise up some of these other things. And if you look at that list I put up, the weird list, the things they emphasize, go back to that really quick. The... Wisdom, knowledge, and faith, teachers. All of a sudden, the sermon became the highest part of the service. Before it, it was this Eucharist thing, which was all of us coming together to the Lord's table. Then they're like, well, we're still going to do it, but that's been so corrupted, we need to slow that down a little bit. So, what we're going to do is we're going to elevate. The part that, like, let's talk about the Bible, all right, guys? And then they did this. And, again, good things came out of this. But if you're like, why is this sermon thing the most important thing that we do in the Western church? Thing, or the I don't know. You, you see how, like, all this has led up to this point. I'm not saying what I'm doing is more important. I'm just saying, why, when you say, what's a church service or what is a church like, we would all put that as a big list. And it wasn't before that. It was really short. Maybe we should go back to that. But you get the point. So we, we've elevated these are the reasoned things. I can explain to you a lot standing up here right now. You know, we don't have to get all, you know, spiritually, because that could be, you know. So that's the second one. Now, the third one, don't put that one up yet. Stay on the second one, because I want to make an, a, an example, which I'm borrowing from Pastor Jeff. I have something here. I have something here. And the first person who comes up here to get the, gets to keep it. This is an expensive illustration. I have something awesome here, and the first person that comes up to get it gets to keep it. (laughs) Well, don't worry, guys. Don't worry. Don't worry. Don't worry. I have a lot more. I have a lot more. A lot more. And anybody can have them. Take as many as you want. Take as many as you want. Oh, sorry. That was supposed to... I'm making it rain. So what's the problem with this money? It's counterfeit. It's actually not counterfeit. It's it's prop money. It says fake on it. So it says fake on it. So none of y'all try to spend it, all right? So it's not technically counterfeit, but... Uh, so don't call the police or anything. But I bought it on Amazon. And here's, the, here's one of, this is the third problem. So the first one is cultural. Our culture really likes things that we can prove all the time. And the second one is church. Our church history has de-emphasized some of the spiritual elements. And we've inherited that church history no matter if we're charismatic or not. Or if we're Pentecostal or not. Okay, there have been some other things. And I skipped over some stuff. But this is a general uh, truth about the american understanding of church and all this kind of thing but the third issue is the problem is that a lot of times when people claim stuff it's in that third category is they're doing this and it looks really good when you're far away from it but when you get close you start to realize this doesn't feel like money i mean it sure looks like money but it doesn't feel the same, and I bet if it gets wet, it falls apart. And so we, as people, Christian people, honestly trying to follow Jesus, have to deal with the fact that a lot, I'm going to say this very clearly, a lot of what people claim in the areas of prophecy, in the areas of healing, even in the areas of, you know, certain miraculous gifts, is fake. Mike Bickle, who is not exactly a cessationist, he's not John MacArthur, (laughs) He thinks that 80% of what we see as spiritual manifestations is fake or are fake. 80%. He says, when he says this, and he's not, like, you can find plenty of times where he says this. This is like a normal thing he says. This is Mike Bickle, the leader of the International House of Prayer, thinks 80% of claimed spiritual manifestations are fake. Okay? And he's like, I don't have science on this. He's like, I just, I'm just telling you I've been doing this for 40 years, and I just, that's just my guess. I tend to agree with him. I've been around, I've been around a little bit, I've seen a few things. A lot of what people claim is fake. And that lends to the problem of the weird list. Go back to the weird list again. Because these things sound so amazing, prophecy, miraculous powers, that's kind of a broad, you know. And actually the one up there at the top I put knowledge. Uh, usually people call that words of knowledge. That what that actually means biblically, just so we know, when you see words of knowledge, it means God would give you an understanding in something, like a spiritual revelation that you could share. And you see it happen a couple times in Acts. Oftentimes we use that terminology to mean like prophetic words or something like that. That's not actually what it means in the Bible. But, the, uh, um, but this list of things um, can be easily corrupted. It can also be easily faked. And so we have a spirit of, uh, I don't know, maybe apprehension or just a little bit, so my, my uh, advice to you is if you do agree or you have agreed with this list, I think I understand why, and I think I get it. But you have to submit this fact that these gifts, not these gifts, Let's stop that. I'm carrying around fake money. The, uh, the spiritual gifts that Paul is talking about that are listed here, go back to the white list where they're not separated. This is examples of types of gifts that God is giving to the church for the blessing of everyone. And if you make a separate list of, I'm only okay with these few, that's not how you're kind of like when God gives you the rope and you go, can I have a dagger? And he's like, I gave you what you need. So my, my challenge to you is I understand the cultural resistance. I get it. I also understand the church resistance because we inherit the faith that we've been given, good and bad. And I also understand the massive frustration with people that lie. Trust me, I get it, okay? But we, don't se- we, don't- we need to unseparate these lists. If you have a problem biblically or even just at, an- at, a- at all with prophecy, for example, or God speaking through people, a word, even in other places it says about things that haven't happened yet, then you, then you need to also have a problem with teachers. And there are parts of the church that just have decided these things don't happen anymore, because then they make up strange reasons they're just not in the bible but the uh and i'm not trying to be dismissive i'm just saying it's not in the bible they had to come up with ways to say we don't have to do this stuff anymore because and they came up with some some reasons but throughout the bible and throughout what we have written and throughout the book of acts they're incredibly important so if you say i have a problem with prophecy then you're going to categorically going to also have to have a problem with teaching okay we don't have a problem with teaching we have having a problem with abusive teaching, just like we'd have a problem with the abuse of prophecy. And yes, prophecy could be abused more egregiously, probably, so we should be careful, and we will. That's actually why there's another one of the weird ones, distinguishing of spirits. This is an important thing, because the world, the creative world, the created world, God is the only uncreated being. He creates everything else. Anything that we would put in the, the category of animal, anything that we would put in the category of, like, mineral or vegetable, <laughs> but also anything that we'd put in the category of spirit. The angels that are mentioned in the Bible that meet with people and tell them about important things are not uncreated beings. They're just spiritual. Do you understand what I'm saying? This is part of God's creation, and it's, it's all available to us. And so some of us need to go in and erase the categories, because this is what God is wanting to do, okay? And God's not mean, he's not going to force on you things, I mean, he's, but he's a gift giver, and he knows you better than you know yourself. And so some of us have been holding back too much because we're scared. I get it, but it's time to, to move on from that, okay? So that's the first thing. The second thing here, I'm going to go through this quickly. He goes into the body of Christ, and he's, it's a very simple picture he's making, the body, that we are all the body of Christ, and that there's different parts of that body and all of those parts are necessary to be a body the whole is more than a sum of the parts but they're also different and you not you can find other metaphors that are like this like a football team like if you say i only like wide receivers and then your linemen are all wide receivers they're gonna not do well you know what i mean like <laughs> you need different people to do different jobs on that team and if they're all good at their jobs you can win you know And it's the same thing. But then he goes into two different areas. First one, I would say is something like this. Everyone is needed in the body of Christ. Everyone. He says, like, if you know the part where he says, like, because I'm not a hand, like, you know, uh, I'll go through. Where is that? Now, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body. And if it said that, it wouldn't even stop being part of the body, he says here. So the first group is... I'm saying to you, if, you're, if you think too lowly of yourself in the body of Christ, you're comparing yourself to other parts of the body of Christ and just coming to the conclusion you must not be a part of it. And I think this is a big tool the enemy uses to just shut everybody down, you know? Because even like, like I said, we're inheriting all sorts of stuff. Like the fact that I'm even up here talking the way we're doing is the thing we've inherited. And... You could be like, well, I don't want to speak in front of people ever. We were having this conversation just a couple weeks ago, and I was like, speaking in front of people is something most people in the world hate, okay? Again, this is just like facts. And it doesn't matter because not very many people have to do it. So that's not like one of the more spiritual gifts. It's just one of them. You know, I'm up here doing it right now. that's fine. You probably will never have to. It doesn't matter. But what you have to do is something that I probably can't do. You hear what i'm saying and so if you sit there and think because i can't do what he's doing i'm not christian or i'm not spiritual that's how the enemy lies to you and it can build up over time and we have too narrow of a list just like we have too narrow of a list of the gifts or the spiritual gifts or the ones we're okay with there's too narrow of a list of what parts of the body of christ can be and do you know if everything you're thinking of is like the body of christ and the behaviors of those pieces is in this room no way. Like, do you, who spends that much time in this room? Like, me and maybe Pastor Kevin, like, kind of, but like, even I'm not in even here most of the time. You've got plenty of other things you've got to do. Your parents, you have a job. You, 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 who knows? I can't make it up for you. The point is, God has a piece for you to play in this thing. And just because you're comparing yourself to somebody else, which, again, you know, our culture teaches us really good to compare and the compare and despair we talked about. Well, I'm not as, you know, because I could do that. I'd be like, well, I preach, but I'm not like these other guys. I mean, look at these guys. They're like awesome, you know. And God's like, I don't need awesome. I just need you. You see what I'm saying? So we can all do this if we want. But then there's another group, too, that he talks to. He says, if you think you're an eyeball, you can say, well, I don't need everybody else. I'm an eye. Or the head, he says, you know. He's like, the head can't say to the feet, like, (laughs) I don't need you. Look, I'm the head, you know. I'm way more important than you are. And he's like, if you're just, you're just an eyeball rolling around on the ground. And you actually have no value at all by yourself. And so some of us that appear the most gifted or the most whatever um, need to realize that we need everybody else to do anything. Otherwise, you're just an eyeball on the ground. And yes, eyeballs are great. And we need eyeballs. But like we need some other things, too. So if you're too low on yourself because of what you think you are, which might even be wrong, but we can deal with that another time, you need to understand the value. Like, which part of your body are you comfortable with me just cutting off right now? Like none? Yeah, like that would be my, like my answer would be zero. All of them would be important. No, don't do that. <laughs> you need all your fingers. The, uh, um, I didn't say like you had to. I'm just saying you would, Whatever. The uh, so Anna, come on up here. I have, but then also if we're too uh, too uppity on ourselves, we need to see how much we need everybody else, because otherwise, we just become a uh, we just become an eyeball on the ground. So, but I have an illustration for myself. This is this is uh, like uh, the body of. I'm having Anna help me um, because. I know we had the illustration, but today I'm liking illustrations, so we're going to do this again. And I'm going to teach you about something awesome, and Anna's going to help us put it together. So, is there a knife? Oh, you got it. Okay, good. So, (laughs) several years ago, I was watching Anthony Bourdain's Part Unknown show, and, and and I have a photo of Anthony Bourdain. We need to put that up there. There he is. God rest his soul. But they, uh, uh, I really do miss that guy's show. But in season four, episode two of Parts Unknown, they go to the Bronx, and I pay attention. You know, there's, he's always eating awesome food, but then he's sitting with some kids in a school, and they're eating this thing called a chopped cheese. This is from the Bronx. It's like a Bronx invention. It's not even old, it's like a recent thing. And I was like, I've never heard of that. But when I saw what they were eating, I was like, that's something, you know, I need in me. And that doesn't look hard to make. And so I looked it up, and if you're like, what is this chopped cheese thing? Well, if you, if you plot it as someone might on a chart, um, a cheesesteak on one side and a cheeseburger on the other side, and there was a, a line between the two, right in the middle is this thing called a chopped cheese, and it's not exactly a cheeseburger, and it's not exactly a cheesesteak. You see how, what I'm talking about, this is, so, but... Anna's going to help assemble one. We made these the other day, and I saved them for just this purpose. So what's required first is you have to have a bun, and this is my version of it. All right, don't get, this is my metaphor. So if you're like, well, actually, I read online that it doesn't, I'm like, this is my thing. Okay, so first you have to have a bun. Get this out. You have to have a bun that's been uh, grilled. That's important, too. And then we we cook the meat with salt and pepper, and you melt all the cheese in it, just like a cheesesteak. And it's awesome. Put it in there. All right, then you have ketchup, you have mustard, you have to go faster. Ketchup, I'll do the ketchup, you do the mustard, and then we'll get the the mayonnaise. Yes, ketchup, mustard, and you have to have mayonnaise on there, guys. This is important. And then you have to have, this is where it gets to be a mixture. This is shredded lettuce. That's good, that's fine. You have shredded lettuce, this is important. It's, it's fine. This is my sandwich. <laughs> and then you have, then you have uh, diced tomatoes, which is like a hamburger, which is awesome. And then you have to have grilled sweet peppers and onions, which is also key. Sweet peppers and onions. No, well, th- I might have to do this one. But. And then this is the last key ingredient. These are, these are hot peppers, which Anna just said are the best. These particular ones are from Luby's Hot Subs, which is another secret I just told you all about right there, on the other side of town. But here, hold this. Beach Boulevard. So, this is the net. This is the effect here. It's supposed to be hot off the grill. This one is not. But th- let me hold on. Everybody clap. The point is, this sandwich is awesome, and every single one of you can make it, I and mean, it's life changing. But if you tried to tell me any of those ingredients wasn't necessary, I would say you were wrong. And as you said, well, the bun's bigger than the amount of hot peppers you put in it. I go, yeah, because I got to hold it. But if you don't put the hot peppers in there, it ain't, it ain't a chopped cheese or the one I would make, okay? This is my, this is my, uh, my metaphor, so. Um, and I think you all understand this is not that hard. Ho- Kayla, you can come on up here. The point is that we are all needed, and the sum is far greater than the parts. Something magical happens when you combine all these things together. When it turns into something called a chopped cheese. And that's where Paul is getting into at the end. He says, now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is part of it. And As I was discussing last week, this is one of those perfect great times where Southern English is better than normal British English or whatever. Where that you is plural. So what that really says is, now y'all are the body of Christ, and each one of you is part of it. Amen. Amen. And I don't think that, I think we all need to surrender. Like the first one, we needed to surrender our list because God is giving out gifts. And if God the Father, the creator of the universe, is giving out spiritual gifts for the purpose of loving and breaking, bringing freedom to those who are captive letting people free from darkness who've been trapped sometimes for forever. And God wants to equip you to help them out of it. And He gives you the rope. And you go, I don't like this. I want to do something else. I want a different gift. It'd be kind of like, it'd be kind of like, you know, someone saving up and giving you the most perfect Christmas gift, but it's not what you thought. You're like, no thanks. But even worse than that, God has other people he's trying to, to, to save and bless through you. And they're counting on you, saying yes. It matters more than just feeling good. You need, we need to know what God is doing. And he wants to use each and every one of us here. But we're caught up. Because some of these things feel weird. It's fine. It sounded weird to the apostles. It's fine. It can, we can be okay with that. Other people lie all the time. They will. They will continue to. But the only reason why we're even fooled by this lie is because it looks like the real thing. If I'd shown up with several billion dollar bills, nobody would have reacted at all. Because they don't make those. That's not a thing, you know. This is, a, this, is, this is an imitation of a real thing. It's a real thing. There is a real thing. It would have, if I was really smart, I would have made one of these real, but I didn't. But the, uh, well, I didn't do that, thinking afterwards. But um, we need to expand our list. And I want to pray that we would be open to receive any of the spiritual gifts that the Father would choose to give us, His children, for the sake of ourselves, our own lives and those around us and those that God has for us to encounter and then also that we would expand our list of understanding of what the body of Christ is the body of Christ is all of us together doing the things that God has made for us to do and we relate to each other and we can't do it alone we need each other and we also all the parts are necessary or else you're just running on some of it like you'd be making this sandwich with some of it. It'd still be all right. It'd still be good, but it wouldn't be great. That's the point. And it doesn't take the most gifted people. It takes the Holy Spirit. But we get in the way and kind of mess it up. And I will say this, one little extra like footnote. This, this message is another side effect of our culture is we're so big on self-discovery, which isn't bad. Like We should know who we are. But if that seeking of, like, I need to find out who I am, if we think in the back of our minds that if I figure that out, then I got it all figured out. If I could figure out who I am, then that's salvation. Knowing who I am. And as I've told you as we were just going through Exodus, you can't even find that in there. Because our empirical minds can tell you something like, you might even get to the bottom of, like, well, this is what you do these are the kind of things you like but well, they can't tell you whether or not those things are good or like a pocket wash hammering on a nail if that's even what that's for because God would be like I made you for this and it's not hammering in nails it's for telling time which is another important and needed thing but you're stuck on hammering and nails and you're beating yourself up so Father I pray that we would be open forgive us when we have rejected your gifts. Forgive us when we have limited ourselves by our own understanding of ourselves. Forgive us for when we've been um, blind to the truth. Forgive us of when uh, we've judged ourselves incorrectly. Forgive us when we put too much importance in who we are and what we can do. Father, teach us to be reliant fully on who you are and what you can do. You are the one who saves us, and you are the one who empowers us. And Father, I pray that you would help us to understand who we are in light of who you are. We know know whose we are so we can know who we are. And Father, I pray that you would bring new life in this whole area of our church. Open our eyes to the Spirit and what you are doing, and open our eyes to the part we play in it. If you want to come up and pray or spend some time praying with the Lord, we have people that are, the prayer team will be up here in the two corners and they can pray with you because there might be something specific you need to, to pray with other people and agree about, you know. And Kayla's going to lead us in a song and uh, then we'll close.